Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, it is fall. It is definitely fall. Anybody get that chill in the air? Come on, who's got scarves on? Anybody? Yeah? Ladies, got the, the boots. All right, the boots come out. You've been waiting all, all year to bring the boots out. Uh, and the pumpkins. Oh, my gosh. The pumpkins. Everything pumpkin. Pumpkin latte. Pumpkin blizzard. Pumpkin cheesecake. Anybody hungry? Pumpkin muffins. Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin, pumpkin, pumpkin. Like, what? you get in my belly, right? But uh, who likes pumpkin? No, none, none of us like pumpkin. You don't like pumpkin. All right, take that pumpkin that you have next to your happy fall y'all sign. Take it, cut the top off, carve it out, right? Put it in the, wash it off, put it in the oven, and take it out when you can stick a fork through it and slice you off a big old piece and enjoy your pumpkin. None of us like, none of us like pumpkin. But if we can have some mechanism to get cinnamon, mm, come on, and nutmeg and pumpkin spice in our bellies, right? And we've, we've chosen some gourd, right? Pumpkins. But it's comfort, right? It's comfort. Listen, I just want you to kind of settle in this morning, get comfortable, uh, because God has a message, I believe, that is just for us. It's for the body of Christ, but it is specifically to you this morning. Here's a big question that, that I've been asking. If God is sovereign, if God is sovereign, and I believe he is, if God is sovereign, why pray? So what I, what I mean by, by sovereign, if God is in control, right, we have these, these theological terms. If he's omnipotent, if he's all-powerful, if he's omniscient, if he's all-knowing, if he's omnipresent, if he's everywhere present all the time, and he's in control, he's sovereign, then why pray? If he knows our thoughts before we think them, he knows our needs before we would even ask, why pray? If God is, knows it, the beginning from the end, why pray? See, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And he creates man, he creates Adam and Eve. And, and what does he, did he say? I, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, but I've given you dominion over the, the earth. Like, I want you to rule. And so man sins. We call it the fall of man. And what he does is he abdicates that dominion, that rulership, to Satan. We see the Apostle Paul, right? He calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. We see the Apostle John. He calls Satan the ruler of, the, of this world. So Jesus then comes and he does what the, the first Adam, see we call Jesus the second Adam, because he does what the first Adam was unable to do. He lives a life without sin. And he defeats sin. He defeats sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he reclaims that dominion that was lost. And he teaches us to pray, right? We call it the Lord's Prayer. But really, it's the believer's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer that he wants you and I to pray. He wanted his disciples to pray. So he teaches us to pray. And this is a, many of you know it, whether it's, it's you grew up in church or not, it's, it's, it's in pop culture. Some of you haven't memorized. The, the Lord's Prayer is 
is a template, right? Jesus didn't say, repeat these words and something special happens, right? It's a, it's a foundation. It's a template. So our Father who art in heaven, right? You are God. I am not. Hallowed be your name. You are omniscient. You are omnipresent. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. You are sovereign. You are in control, God. You are hallowed be your name. You are holy, totally set apart. None can compare to you. There's none like you. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he tells us to pray. You know that thing that, that Adam abdicated, that dominion, that authority over the, the, the earth? Jesus says, not now, because of what I've done, defeating sin, death, hell, and the grave, now you can pray that my kingdom would come and that my will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so get this. When you extend your hand where God is calling you to reach your hand, when your feet go places that God is calling you to go. When you open your mouth and you speak the words that God is filling your lungs with, his will is done and his kingdom comes into your world, into your situation. He teaches us to pray, right? And then he gets it. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. He does. He says, bring your requests. Several times he, he tells us, cast our cares on him, our worries, right? Don't be anxious for nothing, but with, with, with prayer, he probably didn't say nothing. That's me. That, that's Josh's translation. But bring it to, he's saying, ask, seek, knock. He tells us all, the, all, all these things in scripture to, to come and pray. I know you have needs. In fact, I know your needs. So why, but why, why do we pray? And so we, we have these needs that we bring, our needs, needs of the nation, needs of, of our friends, needs of our family. Give us this day our daily bread. It's about the, that's the, the time when we bring our needs. And forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses, however you learned it. And help us to forgive others. Right? So just as we have forget, been forgiven, God, that we would then extend that forgiveness to others. He teaches us to pray. Right? Because if we don't forgive, then we can't receive his forgiveness. Right? We have to forgive. And then leave us out in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we're praying for protection and that we wouldn't be led into temptation, but we would be delivered from, there's a spiritual world and there's a spiritual battle going on and the enemy does not like you. And so he's coming against you. And so Jesus teaches us to pray. Deliver us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right, this morning, we're going to spend some time in, in Exodus 32 and 33. And then in the New Testament, we're going to jump over to Ephesians 1 and 3. So if you want to mark those couple places, let's, let's jump into Exodus 32 and 33. Now, we, we've talked a little bit about, uh, in the last few weeks, about the, the Israelites. And, and we've, we've mentioned them several times about how they... Uh, they're delivered miraculously from their slavery and their bondage in Egypt, right? God does the, the plagues, Pharaoh lets them go, then they, they're, they're headed towards the, the, the promised land, then they see the Red Sea, God parts the Red Sea, Pharaoh and his army is drowned as they pursue, and they're, they're, they're uh, praising God, and then they find themselves at Mount Sinai, and there's smoke, and there's lightning, and there's thunder, and there's the presence of God descending. And God calls this nation, his people, 
calls them up to himself. And they say, uh, uh, Moses, you go for us and come back and tell us what God says. So Moses goes up the mountain and he, he's there 40 days. And this is where we pick up. This is where God meets Moses on that mountain. So he's, he's up the mountain. He's, he's receiving the law, the Ten Commandments. He's receiving the, the blueprints for the, the tabernacle where the, the presence of God would, would sit in the, ark, in the Ark of the Covenant. And he's up there for 40 days and God comes to him and he says, you know, uh, you see what you're, the people are doing down at the base of the mountain? Moses has no idea. He's been up the mountain for 40 days. You see uh, what, what they're doing. And what they've done was collect all their, their gold and they fashioned for themselves a new God. This is the God that delivered us from Egypt. We don't know what's happened to Moses. So Moses has been gone for 40 days and they've made this golden calf and they begin to worship him and they're having these adult only parties right all night long and, and they're worshiping this, this golden calf as if it was the God who miraculously and supernaturally delivered them and led them by cloud by day and fire by night and parted the Red Sea and delivered them miraculously from, from their bondage and their slavery. So in Exodus 32.10, God comes to Moses and he says that his wrath is going to burn hot against them and consume them. Verse 12, but Moses implored. So this is Moses coming to God. He's praying. He's imploring the Lord, his God. And he said, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the land that I have promised I will give your, to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And then catch this, like the most... Amazing thing happens. Most interesting scripture. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So, so what's going on? What's, what's going on here? Does, does Moses' prayer really convince God to change his mind? Does he, does he, is he reminding God of, of something that he had said, like uh, somehow God had forgotten? Right? Is God just having a, an off day? Is he just grumpy? Right? Did, did Moses really change God's mind? And let's, let's uh, crank it up a notch. Let's confuse you even, even more. Confuse me. Moses is the same, the one who's recording this in Exodus is the same guy who's recording it in Numbers, who says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, not a son of man that he should change his mind. So what do we do with this, right? If you're a type A person, right? Engineers, accountants, anybody? I'm not a type A person, so I do not get you very much at all. But we love you. I love you. Uh, but you're going you're, you're gonna to struggle with this. I struggle with this. Like, what, 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 what is this? Did God really change his mind? And God doesn't fit into our, our, our tiny boxes and our formulas. And we all, whether we're type A or not, we want to we wanna fit God into a box. And whether your box is this big or whether it's this big. We all have this box that we're trying to, to fit God in. And, but maybe we should approach these issues not, not as these contradictions to be resolved, but as these truths to be held in tension. So number one, God's purposes are unchanging. 
He is, this is a theological term, immutable. He's unchanging. He doesn't change his mind. Verses like number, Numbers 23, 19 that we just read are, are clear. God is not a man. Right? He, never, he doesn't learn anything new. The more you know, the more you grow. That's not his mantra. Like he, he's, not, he's not learning anything new. He's not growing as a God and, and really getting it better than he, he did yesterday. No. He, he doesn't learn anything new. The prophet Isaiah concurs, and he says, I am God, in Isaiah 46, 9, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. The Apostle Paul jumps in, in Ephesians, and says, in him we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So Moses, Isaiah, and Paul Right? These are three of the most significant authors in all of Scripture. We can even throw David in there, King David. He writes in Psalms that, that God is God and he does what he pleases. Right? So Moses, Isaiah, Paul, David, they're all saying the same thing. So it seems clear that when we look at the full counsel of Scripture that God's purposes are unchanging. God does not change. He doesn't change his mind. But we have to hold this in tension with this other truth. God's plans are unfolding. See, Exodus says that God changed his course of action, and it was because of Moses' prayer. And here's the ironic part. Here's the irony. God is the very one who goes to Moses on the mountain. Moses doesn't know what the people are doing at the base of the mountain. He doesn't know the party that's going on. He doesn't know the idol worship that's going on. He doesn't know the debauchery that's going on down at the base of the mountain. And it's God who tells him to go down and see the situation. Right? Moses didn't know the people had corrupted themselves. It was God who, who comes to him and shows him. So the very thing that God then, or that Moses would then use to, to quote unquote change God's mind is God's own promises. Right? And, and of course, God hadn't forgotten what he'd said. God hadn't forgotten what he'd promised. God doesn't, doesn't forget, but do we, do we see what's happening? God has put Moses in a situation so that he would, one, see the problem that God already knew about. God's the one that comes to him. He would remember God's promises that God knew he had made and hadn't forgotten, right? And that he would petition God. He would pray to God. He would implore God to change his course of action. So Moses' prayer itself is then that result of God's plan. That God wants Moses to come and ask. So he sovereignly puts him in a situation where he'll ask for it. Let's, let's remember, like, Moses is about to lead this stiff-necked people. Not my words, right? That's, that's, that's scripture. This stiff-necked, stubborn people who no matter what God has done, no matter how much he's shown, they would complain. And they would fashion a false god. And they would continue to do so. So this isn't, this isn't about, this is Moses preparing to lead this stiff-necked people for 40 years in the wilderness. It's here that he's going to receive the knowledge of God's goodness and his mercy. Remember in, thir in, in uh, chapter 33, this is where Moses says, God, if you're, if you're pre I, I just need to know who you are. I need to see your, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. And what he's saying there is, God, show me the full essence of who you are. Show me the weight of who you are. And we would think, 
This is Moses. This is burning bush guy. Right? This is like stick on the ground, it's a snake. Pick it back up, it's a stick. This is that guy. This is the, hey, healthy hand. Ooh, leprosy. Healthy hand. This is that, that guy. Right? This, is, this is Moses who, at his word, the plagues would come. And Pharaoh would finally relent. This is the guy who would hold his staff and the waters would part. This is that Moses. And he, Moses is saying, God, I, I, I want to know who you are. So God says, you can't, you can't know the full weight of who I am, but I am going to show you. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of this rock. And as my backside passes in front of you, you're going to get to see just a little bit. So God, God moons Moses. That's me. That's me. That's totally, it's totally me. It's not scripture. Backside is probably way better. But God passes before Moses as he hides him in the cleft of the rock. And what does Moses see? His goodness and his mercy. So before Moses is going to lead this people for 40 years in the wilderness that God knows is going to happen, he's got to get God's heart for the people. So God puts him in this situation where he's going to cry out to know God more. He's going to put him in a situation where Moses is going to need to have God's heart of goodness and God's heart of mercy towards this people who's going to again and again and again show that they're stiff-necked and they're stubborn. They're like me. Right? Uh, Shane Claiborne, he's a pastor, teacher, author. He would, he would write uh, tweet this week. Jesus said that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who oppress us. Not only does this create new possibilities for them, it is also good for us. It keeps our hearts from growing cold and embittered. See, many times when we're going to, to pray, it's about us. It's about us in our hearts that we would align with God's heart, with God's goodness and God's mercy and the knowledge of that. Moses could then lead the people for 40 years in the wilderness, right? Moses needed God's heart. How much do we need God's heart? So he calls us to pray, to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies, so we would get God's heart for the enemies. It's about us, and as Shane Clover would say, it keeps our hearts from growing cold and embittered. So God's purposes are unchanging. His plans are unfolding. And number three, our prayers are instrumental. Our prayers matter. See, the scripture is clear. The text is clear. Without this prayer, God would have destroyed Israel. The prayer was instrumental in changing his course of action, right? And this is consistent with the pattern of prayer throughout Scripture. Second Chronicles 7.14, like we, say, we, we recite that a, a lot when it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. God is saying, if, if my people will pray, then I will. Right? This is a consistent pattern in Scripture of how we're, we're to pray because it, it, it changes us and it does move God. Now, many, many will ask the, these questions. Well, what, what if Moses had refused to pray? Right? What, what would it mean that, that the people would not have been saved? Would it mean that it was not God's will after all? 
to save them. And then, and then does that mean that the thing that I prayed about wasn't God's will or, or God would have, have just chosen somebody else to pray? Like my, my head hurts. Like my head's spinning like with all those what ifs. And what, but maybe those, are, maybe those are the wrong questions. Maybe that's the wrong way to think about it because Scripture never teaches us to think about the will of God in that way. He, he's always partnered with us, even from the beginning. He's always partnered with us. And he would even teach us to pray, right, that his will is done, his kingdom would be done on earth, in our situations, in our life, in our family, in our friends, in our workplace, as we extend our hands, as we go, and as we say the things God calls us to say, that his will would be done, that his kingdom would come in our situations, in our world, as it is in heaven. Can we acknowledge for a second this beautiful relationship, right? This beauty, the beauty and wonder of this God's sovereignty and that it can't, it can't easily be explained. It doesn't fit into whatever size box that we have. And, and can we also acknowledge that our prayers matter? Our actions matter. Our lives matter. This is... October and we're, we're approaching, you know, the Halloween season, all the, the pumpkins and the costumes and, and all the, the, all this stuff. And about 12 years ago, I was program director for a, a, the teen challenge just down on Prairie, uh, right? Where, where the old YWCA uh, is. And it was a Wednesday night and the girls, uh, this was the adolescent girls uh, program. And uh, so the girls were at a youth group and they were coming back from from the youth group and they were getting ready for bed. And I get a call from the staff member and I'm across town in my living room and I get a call and they say, one of the girls you know, has run away. I'm like, this is the worst possible night to run away. Everybody's in costumes, out trick-or-treating. There's creepy white vans driving around with people with ill intentions, right? There's all kinds of stuff that's happening I think they were having a um, Houdini seance at the Lincoln. I mean, there was all kinds of crazy stuff that's happening on that night, the worst possible night for a girl to run away. And so as I get in my car and I'm driving, we called the authorities and I'm driving towards downtown. She's on foot. God, would you direct me to where she is? Holy Spirit, would you lead me? God, I need you. I need your presence to guide me to where she is. I'm telling him things that he already knows. This is a worst night for her to run away. This is terrible. And so I get to downtown. I've only been in Decatur for a little over a year at that point. So I, I begin to drive down. I think, I think it was Powers Lane. And the Holy Spirit says, turn around, pull over right here, and I'll bring her to you. And I'm like, I think I could, I'm in a car. I think it's probably better served that I keep moving. <laughs> so not familiar with the, the, the neighborhood or the roads, I find myself right, I've circled, right? And I'm right back on the same road, the same spot, and I hear the voice again. I hear that, I feel that sensing, pull over right here and I'll bring her to you. So I pull over, turn around, pull over, and there's my car, a sidewalk, and a row of hedges. Turn off the car, roll down the windows, and not two minutes go by, and the girl is walking down the street towards me. 
towards my car. Now, she doesn't know what kind of car I drive. They're transported in a, in a bus or a minivan. And, or, yeah. and uh, so she has no clue what, what car I'm driving. And she gets up to the car, and I'm waiting anxiously, right? And I don't want her to run. I don't want her to keep running. But I'm like pins, needles, hands sweating, all that. And she gets to my window, and she leans in to what she believes is a stranger's car. <laughs> what would have, could have, should have happened? And she sees that it's me, and ah, has nowhere to go but into a hedge, right, in, into this, these bushes, backs up in the bushes, I'm out of the car, and I'm able to say to her, can you believe that there's a God who loves you and sees you and loves you enough to tell me exactly where you would be? Me, just as astonished as her, that there's a Holy Spirit that would guide me, that would speak to me, your prayers matter. Your life, your actions, they matter. All right, let's not get this nihilistic sense of, well, God's sovereign, so why do anything? Your prayers matter. It's this beautiful relationship that we have with the Father. God in his sovereignty has put us in those situations for the express purpose of praying his promises Right? He wants us to invite his divine power to create a different outcome than the one everyone is heading to. I believe that could have been a different outcome that night. But God, it, it put me into that situation that I would believe that I could call on the Holy Spirit to direct me to where she was and then he would do it and it would surprise even me in doing so. God wants to surprise he wants to surprise you with how good he is and how much he loves you and how much he truly sees you. Your situation, the problems, the obstacles that you're seeing, they have, if we allow them, divine appointed opportunities. They're invitations to call on God's promises. Like Moses, God has sent you down the proverbial mountain, right? Into a family, into a group of friends, into a job, into your neighborhood, right? And you're placed where he wants you so that you can obey and that you can and pray, right? That you can see, see the problem, that you can believe the promises, that you can release his power into those situations. God's word, it's not just a textbook to be learned, right? It's full of promises to be believed, that we would trust in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to guide us as we pray, right? To show you where and how to extend God's kingdom and that he's willing and waiting and wanting to answer. So what can we learn? What can we learn from Moses' prayer with the absolute prospect of losing God's presence? God, in that, in that whole in that situation, that 32 and 33, is telling Moses, okay, I'm going to let my angel go before you and take the people into the promised land, but my presence is not going to go with you. And so Moses is at a place where he is now praying for God's presence. He's, he throws himself again in, before the Lord and pleads for God's presence. And this is, 
This is about Moses. This is about Moses getting a heart for the people that he would know God's goodness and God's mercy before he would lead them into the wilderness and that he would realize that he needs this reliance on the presence of God. Right? He, he, Moses, above all, the, like we talked about, he's the burning bush guy. He's the, the guy who knows, we would say, knows God. And here's Moses saying, I don't, I don't, I don't know you. You say you know me my name, but, but show me your glory. And God lets his goodness and mercy pass. And then God tells him, okay, my angel's going to go with you. And Moses is like, uh-uh, uh-uh. If your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going. We're not going. And Moses, at this point, he doesn't bring this canned prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Can we slow that down for a minute? Like, do, we, do we teach our kids that? Do we pray that with our kids? Thank you. I pray the Lord my soul. If I should die, before, and, good night. Sleep tight. Don't let, don't let the bed bug bite. Ah, there's bugs and I might die. And I, I'm just trying to sleep. Right? All these things that we... Oh, okay. One of my favorite nursery rhyme things is there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. Right? Like, what are we doing to our kids? There was an old lady who swallowed a spider that wiggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly. I don't know why. She swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. Right? And it gets all the way to the end. There was an old lady who swallowed a horse. She's dead, of course. Like, the old lady died. Good night. Sleep tight. Remember, pray the Lord your soul to keep. Like, Moses doesn't go to God with this canned prayer. He goes... He goes to God and he's pleading for God's presence. God, I, if you don't go, if your presence doesn't go with me, right? We don't have to pray these memorized, canned prayers. We, sometimes we don't even have to have the words, right? God say, it's true. He knows our thoughts before we think them. It's true. He knows what we need before we ask. So if that's not the purpose, what is the purpose of, of going to God in prayer, right? That we would get his heart, that we would want more of his presence, that we want to know who he is, want to know God more. So then Moses is remembering all God's promises he's made in the past, right? In, in, in reminding God of everything he said, right? God, this is your people. God, this is, you said that you know me by name, yeah, these are, you said that you would be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Like, God, this is, this is your people. He shows us how we're to, to pray in the process. Notice these, these three things. That God is saying that he's going to go to the promised land, and he's going to send it. He, tell Moses that he's going to send his angel, but his presence is not going to go. So Moses, here's his prayer in, in, in Exodus thirty three fifteen. If your presence does not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Right? He's not praying for safety. He's not praying for traveling mercies. Right? He's not praying for the, the physical needs to be met. He's praying for God and his presence. He's saying, God, I need you. If you don't go with us, I don't want to go. God, I need your presence. Second thing, he prays according to God's promises. God, you're the one who said, 
to, to bring this people up. It wasn't my idea. God, you said that you know me by name. God, you said that I have found grace in your sight. God, you said that this nation is your people. Right? And what are some of the things that we can say? Jesus, you said that, that through you, we really, we are a child of God, that we have an inheritance, that we have access, right? That, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus, you that have said these things. And, but, but by the way, those, that's all, it's not reminding God at all. We don't, we don't do that to remind God of what he said. He's not forgetting. We do that to remind us of who God is and how great he is. And that his promises are yes and amen, the Bible would say. It means his promises are true. They're never failing. That he doesn't lie. He's not a, a man that he would lie. Right? He's, he doesn't change his mind. And then finally, the goal of prayer is to know God. In verse 13, we see Moses prays that God would show me your ways so that I may know you. Right? We said if anyone knows, would know God, we would think it would be Moses. And yet his prayer re- reveals this desire to know him more. Right? His model of prayer shows us that, that those who truly know God desire and want to know God more. There's never an end. There's never a box big enough fully understand who God is and what he wants to do in your life. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his letters would regularly pray. Right? He's praying for his disciples and for us, the reader, to know God more. In Ephesians 1, 17, he says, May God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Again, in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, he says, And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and in spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you ever wonder what to pray for people that that you don't know well or you don't know what to pray? Pray that they would grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus. Right here's, here's what the Apostle Paul wants us to know. That you can, you can have the knowledge of God. His will is knowable. Right? What Moses and the prophets would long to know and see, Moses, the prophets, David, all of them before, before Jesus, they would want to, to long to know and see. Moses is praying, God, show me your glory. We have access to. Jesus is the expressed image of God. Jesus is the glory of God. And, and Paul is about to tell us that we can know him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. This is what the scriptures say, mean when they say. Now this is a quote from Isaiah. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. All right, this is Isaiah saying no, no one can imagine what, what God has prepared for, for those who, who love him. But, here's Paul, it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things of God. For again, this is Isaiah. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? And here's Paul, but we understand these things 
for we have the mind of Christ. God's will is knowable. God's, that's why he, Jesus is going to teach us to pray, right? That his will would be done, that his kingdom would come, because we can have the mind of Christ. We can know God's will. We can have the wisdom and knowledge. Paul would teach us to pray. Now, this is, this is an interesting part, because he, he starts the prayer in chapter 1 of Ephesians. And he gets, he's so excited about what he wants the Ephesus to know, the church in Ephesus. And this is a letter that he's writing. Imagine being a scribe. He starts in, in chapter 1, and then he gets distracted. I don't know if he had ADD. Probably you would need to, to, to do what Paul did. And he gets distracted, and he gets off on, oh, they need to know this, and they need to know this. And then he concludes the prayer in chapter 3. See, they didn't have chapter and verse. They, he was just writing a, this letter, but he starts the letter in verse 15 of chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glo this glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, right? And then he, then he gets a little distracted. He's like, wait a minute, they need to know that they're saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then, wait, wait, okay, make, make sure you tell them. Write this down, you got it? You, you're writing it down? Okay, scribe, okay, write this down. They're, they're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And, and, and God's prepared good works for them to do. And so Paul's getting, getting off track from his prayer, but he's telling us everything that he thinks that, that we need to know. And he's saying, let, let them know that they're one in Christ. You, you got to let them know that. And then in chapter 3, he starts again. For this reason, I, Paul, he's picking up his prayer again, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then I don't know if it's in your Bible, in my Bible, there's a dash because he gets distracted again. And he's like, wait a minute, there's this mystery, this mystery of the gospel that they've got to know about because, because Moses and the prophets and David, it was a mystery to them, but it's been revealed through Christ Jesus and they have access to this mystery that well, the prophets only dreamed about. Make sure they know that. Make sure they know about this. Okay, now let's, let's pick up the prayer again. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's knowable that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says, once you get that, there's still more. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all you can ask or think. Get a bigger box, because no matter how much you can ask, think, or imagine, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen. Why do you pray? Why do we pray? We pray because it changes things. His will and his kingdom can come and invade your situation. We pray because we can have the mind of Christ. 
We pray because God is able. We pray because he's able to do more than we can ask or think. His ways are higher and we can know them. We pray because we can have peace beyond all understanding. We can have joy unspeakable. It says his sorrow may last for the night. His joy comes in the morning. We pray because he does have our best interest in mind. If you lack wisdom, James says to ask and he gives it liberally. We pray because the hurt need comfort. We pray because the sick need healing. We pray because the hopeless need hope. The bound need set free. The lost in sin need a savior. The prodigals, your sons and daughters that have walked away, they need to come home. We pray because we believe it changes things. We pray because we can know the mind of God. We pray because his will is noble. We pray We started out with, if God is sovereign, why pray? I want to flip that on its head. Why pray? Because God is sovereign. He's in control. He's all-powerful. There's nothing that he does not know. And he's everywhere all the time. And he can invade your situation. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we want to posture ourselves, God, to receive what you would have for us. God, we believe that you make a way when there seems to be no way. God, that you do work miracles, signs, and wonders. God, when, when there are sick, we can pray, and you do bring healing. God, when there are broken hearts that need mended, you can step into our lives. God, we pray because we believe that you are sovereign and that you're in control, and that you love us and you have the power to do something about it. God, even when we can't see you moving, we believe that you're working, that you're working all things together for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. We pray because it matters. It matters for us and it matters for those around us. Would you be exalted? Would you be lifted high? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.